Let's go in the Word of God to the New Testament, to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and just one verse, verse 15. He, obviously speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Since time immemorial, men have tried to imagine what does this invisible God look like? How can you relate to an invisible God? So this man, so man in his desire to qualify or quantify or visualize or actualize an invisible God, mythologized him. And the Greeks, uh, they said, pointed and said, look to Jupiter and look to Saturn. There is your God. And the Egyptians said, no, look to the sun. Look to the Nile. That is your God. The Romans came along and they said, you can have any God you want. Pick any God you want. We don't care. Just worship a God. Paul comes along and he said, you're all wrong. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 1 and 3 says, Christ is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. So Christ is the express image of the person of God. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, you need to look no further than Jesus Christ himself. Christ was the perfect representation of, of God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, it says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the death of the cross. And the word form here is morphe, and it simply means essence. So in other words, in essence, Paul's saying, Christ Jesus is God in essence. And then it goes on from that and says, who in appearance as a man, and in appearance is schema, which means outward appearance, so inwardly, in essence, Jesus is God. Outwardly, an appearance as a man, an actual man, a flesh and bone and blood man. And this is the mystery of godliness, the Bible says. And here is Christ. Now notice he didn't find it being equal with God something to be held on to. But it was something he was willing to lay aside. 
to lay aside his majesty, to lay aside that glory he had with the Father in order to come and take upon himself humanity. Now, he never laid aside his deity. He always was and always will be. And while he was on this earth, he was fully God, and yet he was fully man. And this is a mystery. Who can explain that? But he took upon himself humanity. He's still God, but now he's God manifest in the flesh. He's no longer God invisible. He's the image of the invisible God. But God didn't want to remain invisible to humanity. He wanted a visible God. So he came in his son to humanity. And Jesus became the living likeness of God. And so at this Advent season, as we think about how God sent his son and what a special way to send him as a man, as flesh and bone and blood, just like us. James Large said, the only fit representation of the divine being must be one of the divine persons. The honor of the great three in one can only be safely trusted in the hands of the one of the three. Therefore, God sends his only begotten son to be his image. No less a person can represent him. So firstly tonight, Christ was the perfect representation of God. Paul said he is the image of the invisible God. Secondly, Christ was the perfect manifestation of God. 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Prophesied by the great prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14 of his book, easily 700 years before Christ was born, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew picks up on that prophecy and quotes that prophecy that after all those years had finally came true. God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. <sighs> and then it goes on down to verse 14. And it tells us in verse 14 how that the Word had become flesh to us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What a wonderful time is the Advent season to keep continually reminding us that God sent his Son as a perfect representation of him and a perfect manifestation of him. Galatians 4 and 4 says, born of a woman made under the law. But sure, aren't all men born of a woman? You think the Bible's just stating the obvious here? I don't think so. It's reminding us of the uniqueness 
As we said this morning in an entirely different context, God didn't send his son a fully grown man. He sent him to be conceived in the very womb of Mary herself. Contracted to a span, somebody said. Imagine God contracted to a span. I was thinking this morning when I said that, when I looked at Hannah and Andrew's beautiful little newborn baby, Emily, how tiny and small and frail and fragile she is. Well, that's must, Christ must have been looked exactly the same. Tiny, small, frail, fragile. And yet, God in human flesh. What a mystery this is. And so when it says he was born of a woman, it's stating something that's extraordinary. He was miraculously conceived in the womb of a virgin. And this first advent of being born of a woman and coming in the likeness of man is absolutely vital to our whole Christian belief. It's very, very important that we believe this. See, over the centuries, two things has been argued about Christ. His divinity and his humanity. Those two things. His divinity and his humanity. Those two things are argued about today. His divinity and his humanity. Was he God? Is he God? Was he just a man? Or did it even exist did they actually exist at all? These things is always argued about. But the Bible in the record of his advent clearly states both his divinity and his humanity. In 1 John chapter 4, that little epistle of John, the Apostle John, writing over here in wanting to absolutely nail something regarding uh, false teaching that had come into the church and false teachers that had come in. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. So here's the litmus test. Here's the proof and evidence. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. What do we talk about at Christmas time? Jesus coming in the flesh. It's vital for us. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in this world. And so it's vitally important that we realize, that we acknowledge that it's part of our faith as Christians that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came in human form. He was born of a virgin. It's vitally important for us to believe that in his humanity, he went to the cross and he suffered and he died. That when he was buried, that he rose again bodily, not spiritually, but bodily. A bodily resurrection is something that we must believe in as Christians. Then that bodily he ascended up to the Father that day. 
When the angel says, why you men stand gazing? This same Jesus will come back as he left and he's coming back again bodily and he sits at the right hand of the Father bodily with that flesh body that he had on earth. All of these things is absolutely vital for us to believe as Christians. I'm amazed how many Christians do not know what they believe. The cults know what they believe. We should know what we believe. And these are things that we must believe and hold dear to. These are the things that are being attacked day and daily. Colossians 2 and 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then thirdly, Christ was the perfect revelation of God. You see, in Jesus, God reveals his heart. And God reveals his hand. God reveals his purposes for this world and for our lives individually. And he does it in Jesus. This is why Christ was born, to redeem his people. Isaiah 53, to be the punishment for our sins. That we might go free. That we might be saved and born again of his spirit. He was actually born to die for us. His miraculous birth is meaningless without his mediatorial death on the cross. A crib led to a cross. Bethlehem led to Calvary. Christmas leads to Easter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. There was a great gulf between us. Our sins have separated us from God. But Jesus came to pay the price and the penalty so that we could be reconciled to God. And he came specifically to do that. In Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to be very brief tonight. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What a tremendous gift that God gave us, the gift of his own son, to come and to die for us. 
I'm not sure whether we sang it this morning. I don't think we sang it tonight. We'll probably sing it on Tuesday night at the carol service. That beautiful carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And it's one of the greatest carols. Philip Brooks, 150 years ago, was probably America's greatest preacher. He was a big man. He was six foot six and he was built like a barn door. He had a phenomenal memory. He could memorize 200 hymns. His sermons are full of verses out of hymns. They just come to his memory like that. And a few days before Christmas, he was sitting in his study in church in 1865, and he was preparing a message uh, for Christmas Day. And as he was doing that, his Sunday school teacher and his choir director, his musician, main musician, was out in the main body of the church and he was playing carols, getting ready for uh, the Christmas Day. And that caused Brooks to stop what he was writing and just think back that three years prior to that he had spent Christmas in Bethlehem. And so when he heard the carols, it brought his mind back to three years prior in the little town of Bethlehem. And as he was thinking about that, he began to write the very first line of this famous carol, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And very, very soon, almost immediately, the rest of the words came to him and he wrote them down. After he finished writing it down, he took it out to his choir director, his chief musician, uh, Lewis Redner, and he says, Lewis, could you put music to that and we'll sing it on Christmas morning? And Lewis Redner said that try as he may, no tune would come to him. He racked his brains, he thought of everything, but nothing was coming. And he said he went to bed on Christmas Eve and at midnight he woke up and he says it was as if music came from heaven. And he got up and he had the tune. And on Christmas morning, 1868, America's most loved preacher gave us probably the most loved carol of all, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It's wonderful words. Let me just read you two of the verses. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Isn't that wonderful? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, even the very tune itself. Christ was the perfect revelation of God. He was the perfect manifestation of God and he was the perfect representation of God. And that's why he is the perfect invitation to God. Christ, our mediator, 
our reconciler. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the light. Peter said in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul writes to Timothy, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Christ gives a great invitation to come, does he not? In Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What an invitation. What an invitation for those who are burdened with life, burdened with the problems burdened with sin, burdened with brokenness, to come unto the one who carries the load for us. That's why Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In Luke chapter 14, and we're just about almost finished. Now I've been good tonight, didn't I promise you it would be quick? Because you're all tired, aren't you? You look at it anyway. Luke 14, verse 16. And he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Sent a servant at supper time to say to all those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask, have me excused. Can you imagine a businessman going and buying a piece of ground without seeing it first? I don't think so. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I ask you, have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Is that the first hand-packed man in Scripture? I don't know whether he is or not. Felt he needed his wife's permission to go, but he didn't go. Probably just blamed his wife. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Many, many invited, but how many comes? Our job is to invite men and women to come to Christ, isn't it? Invite them to get ready for the great supper that God is providing so that they're ready for that great day. Final invitation, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. 
Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. What an invitation. So this Christmas time, this Advent season, we are reminded of why Jesus came. He came with the purpose. He came with the mission to save men. Aren't you glad he saved you tonight? Thank God tonight that we know the Savior. Makes all the difference to this season if you know the Savior. We know there's big attacks even in the very thought of Christmas. We know that the atheists and the liberals and all the rest of it are trying to do away with the very thought of it and the very mention of it. And all right, we know that probably the 25th of December is probably not the day that Jesus was actually born. We know that. But it's as good a day as any to celebrate when he did come, isn't it? And so as long as there's breath in their body, we're going to mention that he came. And we're going to uphold his name. Thank God he came. Let's pray.